You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them accessible. Thanks for joining our Brookings Tech Tank podcast. I'm Daryl West, Vice President of Governance Studies at the Brookings Institution and co-author with Brookings President John Allen of a book about AI entitled Turning Point, Policymaking in the Era of Artificial Intelligence. Space travel is generating a lot of interest in many different corners. NASA is preparing to return to the moon and ultimately would like to have missions to Mars. Space telescopes are generating new insights about the universe and private space companies are sending ordinary people into Earth orbit. All these developments raise interesting questions about the future of space exploration and how to use the knowledge we are gaining to improve life on Earth. To discuss these questions, we are pleased to be joined by a distinguished expert. Nicole Stott is an astronaut who participated in two space flights and logged 104 days living on the International Space Station and traveling on the space shuttle. She also has been an aquanaut who spent 18 days uh, living 60 feet underwater, and she also has served on a ground team dedicated to improving life on Earth. And if that is not enough, she also is an artist who has painted a watercolor on the space station and works now to connect space travel with artwork. She is the author of a fabulous new book published by Seal Press entitled Back to Earth, What Life in Space Taught Me About Our Home Planet and Our Mission to Protect It. Nicole, welcome to our Brookings Tech Tank podcast. Wow, thank you, Daryl. Pleasure to be here. So before we get to your book, I want to learn a little bit more about your background. So how did you get interested in space and how did you end up at NASA? Well, well, I, I grew up in Florida, kind of across the state from where the Kennedy Space Center is. As a kid, watched that first moon landing. For me, though, while that was a really vivid memory, I mean, I, I have like this memory of like sitting in front of the TV, black and white, with my grilled cheese sandwich and my parents watching <laughs> Neil and Buzz walk on the moon. And I think even at six or seven years old, that's an extraordinary thing. But it wasn't really until much later that space became something that I was really curious about and wanted to be a part of. I'm thankful to my dad for loving flying and building and flying small airplanes, which then helped me develop a passion for wanting to do those same things. And I think outside of that, I wanted to know how things fly. And while I was at university learning how airplanes fly, I was like, man, if you want to know how airplanes fly, why would you not want to know how rocket ships fly? And that kind of got me into it. When I graduated from college, NASA was flying the space shuttle and I wanted to be a part of that. And at the time I thought I just wanted to be a part of it to help that happen, to work on the vehicles and get them ready for astronauts to fly. I remember that first moon landing as well. And uh, we also watched it in our household on a black and white TV, TV but there were, were no grilled cheese uh, sandwiches. <laughs> but I do remember uh, just being awestruck by uh, what was taking uh, place. And it's uh, been interesting just to see how the program has developed uh, since then. So you served on two different space flights and lived for several months on the International Space Station. You have orbited the Earth at 17,500 miles per hour. So what is it like going up on a spaceship and then living on the space station? 
it's awesome. <laughs> Just those two words. It's awesome. And for sure, the ride there and back is, is really exciting to launch on a space shuttle, which is what I flew both times with 7 million pounds of exploding rocket thrust underneath you is absolutely exciting. And then to have that ride back into the atmosphere and to at least on a space shuttle, hear that little chirp of the wheels on the runway after your mission is really very exciting. Everything about living and working in space, including that ride to and from, it's all part of a really great adventure. And I say that not just from the standpoint of it being, you know, this cool thing to do, but an adventure in a place where we take gravity out of the equation, right? So everything about our bodies behaves differently, Everything about the way we move and do science and experience that environment is really very different to what we experience here on Earth. And because of that, I don't know, the greatest part of that to me was the fact that I was going to be part of something that took us to this place of certainly of adventure and, and difference. But because of that allowed us to learn more about things that we maybe even thought we already knew a lot about. And to be part of something where everything about it is helping us to improve life on earth. And that was pretty cool. And you mentioned the 17,500 miles an hour. That stands out. Because of that, we travel around the earth 16 times a day, so every 90 minutes. And one of the highlights of being in space and looking out the window is to see just these stunning sunrises and sunsets that happen about every 45 minutes or so, which is very different to life here on earth as well. Yeah, that must be an amazing memory to have. And I, you know, certainly seeing the pictures that uh, various people have uh, taken, and it really inspires a lot of awe in just the place uh, where we live. So your new book, Back to Earth, uh, imparts a number of lessons for human beings. And I recommend it to our audience. It's a fabulous read. It uh, does a great job of integrating your personal experience uh, in space with larger uh, lessons that people should be thinking about. And one of the lessons you talk about is, quote, act like everything is local. So what does that mean? And why should people act local? <laughs> this is one that was really fun for me because my husband has always had this saying that the global is the new local or local is the new global. I think you could look at it either way. And I think it just means that we need to act like everything is local because it's based on the fact that everything, whether we want to believe it or not, everything is interconnected in one way or another. And this became crystal clear to me when I was able to look back at Earth, for sure, and see something I already knew as a child, but perhaps didn't necessarily register as being so integral to my my day-to-day -day life, is that we live on a planet. <laughs> and seeing and accepting that we live on a planet together in space, I mean, it's a real wake-up call to not only who and where we all are together, but to the fact that everything I do affects everyone around me. Again, whether I want to believe that or not, and that everything happening on one place on the planet ultimately affects everyone and everything everywhere on the planet. I saw that through things like watching hurricanes move across the earth or watching lightning strikes. As a child growing up in Florida, I thought that was something that just, you know, a storm just happened over my head and then it was gone. But when you watch it from space, you see these flashes of lightning that just are trailing, chasing themselves around the entire planet. Everything, everywhere, everyone is interconnected. And that 
just proves out, I think, too, that we struggle a lot, I think, with how could anything I do? What's this one thing I would do in my life? How would that affect on a grander scale everyone around me? But it does. We need to, I think we need to find joy in that, that we really can have a positive impact on the life of everyone we share the planet with and on the planet itself. That is certainly a terrific point and something that people should remember. You also mentioned that we should respect the thin blue line, which is the atmosphere separating our planet from space. So how are we not respecting that line and what do we need to do in order to respect that line? A lot of this, it's about awareness. First of all, becoming aware and accepting what exists around us. And again, from space, you look back at Earth, and one of the things I think you'll hear all astronauts uh, speak about is this kind of shock at how thin, like veil thin, the atmosphere that blankets our planet really is. And I'm looking out my window right now, and I know when I look out and I look up at the blue sky, it really, it, you get this sense that it goes on forever and that it'll just be there doing its job for us, holding all the good stuff in, the air we breathe, holding all of what, what secures our life in place on this planet and, and absolutely protecting us from that deadly vacuum of space. But the fact is it doesn't go on forever. And the fact is that a lot of what we do as humans, whether we're maliciously intending to or not, threatens that veil of protection. I think just raising our awareness to it, accepting that a lot of what we take for granted about this planet that supports our life can be threatened by what we do. But we also, I think what is so hopeful in it is that we also have the power to change the way we behave to, to protect that support for ourselves. That is important to recognize. We do have a narrow margin of error and we need to take care of our planet and make sure that our environment continues to sustain our lives. You also emphasize the importance of staying grounded, which I thought was a ironic line <laughs> coming from an astronaut, but what does that mean for you and, and what can other people do in order to stay grounded? Yeah, this was actually a funny one for me, too, but I, I couldn't find a better word because, and I share in the book that this word grounded has, there's like dual meaning in this, too. For an astronaut to hear the word grounded, you know, you're grounded, that's not a good thing. That, that means you're not going to get to fly in space, that the one thing that you were, you know, working towards as an astronaut would not come to life for you. And so on the one hand, you don't want to hear that word. And then on the other hand, the sense of self, of kind of understanding your place, of, again, awareness of even as an individual, your own strengths and weaknesses and what you bring you know, to the table and being comfortable with that. That is absolutely something that astronauts have to have to be successful in the environment of space, to work as a good crew. And then I think the third side of that really is for us to be comfortable with ourselves, we, we need to not only raise awareness of like the awe and wonder that's around us, but to find ways to let that sink in. And in space, the way I found myself staying grounded was really just paying attention to what it was like to fly, to move in three dimensions. And then primarily by this experience of Earth and the view of Earth as our home planet through the window and just being just like wholly sucked into that view in a very transcendent way, a very, I think, meditative way 
And for a person who had never meditated before, I didn't really understand the power that was really having on me and how centered I could become from it and how that would help me be a better crew member in space. And hopefully, I'm hopeful that it has helped me be now a better member of the crew here on Spaceship Earth as an Earthling. That definitely makes sense. And speaking of planet Earth, in your book, Back to Earth, you argue that we are all Earthlings and that we should work hard to make life better. How can the ordinary person who is struggling to make ends meet and keep their families together do that? I tried to share in the book this, and I try to live it in my life now too. I, I think these things stay with me, have stayed with me ever since, and I, I think they will for the rest of my life. We go to space, we do these things. There's a level of complexity to it that's almost unimaginable, actually. And yet, in all of that, I brought home with myself at least these three simple lessons of we live on a planet, we're all earthlings, only border that matters is that thin blue line of atmosphere. And they seem very simple on the surface, and yet I think there's a complexity to them as well. And how we bring that to bear in our daily lives, especially if we're struggling in some way, I think that's where the complexity is. Because these three things certainly are, in one way or another, what we all share in common. And yet when we are in a place where there's some struggle, either short-term or long-term, it can be easy to set those aside. When in fact, I think they can be the things that really lift us up in our most challenging times and give us some power to overcome that. And perhaps it's just as simple as being with our families, looking at what we share around us, looking for what we can be appreciative of, and bringing that to bear through the life we live. My family, we've struggled along the way too, and I know it will be different for what other people's challenges have been, but I think finding ways just to hold each other close, to respect what gives us life, and when to really feel like we're part of that can raise our spirits in even the most challenging times. So you note that we should see Earth as a unified whole. And when I read that, I thought this is a a great aspiration, but it also seems to run counter to many current trends. Today, we have an emphasis on nationalism, political sovereignty, personal self-interest, like people seem to be focused on themselves or small entities as opposed to the earth as a unified whole. How can we imbue people with more of a sense of that whole? Well, I mean, I think one of the first things I would say to people is, holy moly, instead of always having the head down in the phone, (laughs) you know, to really lift your head up, look around you, again, back to those three simple lessons of planet, earthling, thin blue line. They are simple yet profound. And I mean, just walk outside with your feet in the dirt and look up at the sky to try to really reflect on your place on this planet. I think if we could get everybody doing that at least once a day, there would be questioning of these things like you just mentioned, this personal self-interest, this nationalism, sovereignty. And that doesn't mean that that people have to lose a sense of being with respect to the country that they're from or the, the city they live in or the culture that they have. I think it just means that we need to be more respectful of how we really do fit um, together uh, on this planet as earthlings. And and I would like to encourage people to, if you're looking at the phone, that you use it for ways to acknowledge this world around us, the space around us. And one of the ways that you can do that, which I think is really cool, and I try to share this with people that I think don't know about the International Space Station and what's been going on there for 
over 20 years as this peaceful, successful, you know, cooperation in space is to load the app, spot the state on your phone, and then plug your zip code in and look for when the space station is going to be flying overhead. And it's really cool because the app will tell you which horizon and which direction to look at to watch this dot of light move from horizon to horizon across this, the night sky. And then think about the fact that there are six or seven people on that little dot of light as one crew representing 15 countries that have come together to work peacefully and successfully for on a mission of improving life here on Earth. And that becomes pretty compelling. I think you want to then find out more about what's going on there. You want to find out more about how our planet supports us as a life support system as well. Actually, that is a great idea to uh, get that app. I am going to uh, do that, and uh, it'll uh, be uh, interesting to uh, see the uh, space station actually moving across the uh, sky. And it, it is extraordinary that 15 countries have come together over the last two decades to cooperate, to be peaceful, to work collaboratively. That is uh, a great lesson for uh, the rest of us. Now, one of my favorite parts of your book is advice that you offer for people to find their earth rise moment. And I think that's a really great uh, concept. And of course, uh, you talk about this in the context of referring to the famous 1968 picture that astronaut Bill Anders took of the earth rising from the perspective of the of moon orbit during the Apollo 8 uh, mission. So what does an earth rise moment mean to you? <laughs> Well, I, an, an Earthrise moment, and I think you can find that because I know I have without traveling to the moon, is I think it's one, it's where, you know, I think we describe these as like epiphany moments too, right? Where something just, you have this experience in life where something just clicks, just changes for you, you know, in, in I would say, a life-changing way. And for me, the opportunity to look out the window of the space shuttle or the space station to recognize that, oh my gosh, I live on a planet's my home. <laughs> that, was, that was certainly life-changing for me. But in hindsight, I realized that along, along the way in my life, I had experienced these kinds of things before, whether that was through, I don't know, the birth of my child or some really extraordinary experience in nature or reading something that was so compelling to me that I hadn't really imagined thinking about before. And then because of that, you, know, you want to make a shift in your own life as a result. And I, I am just so hopeful that everyone can find that in some way around them. And the point in my book is that you don't have to go to space for this to happen for you, right? And that that the awe and wonder that surrounds us every day is something we just need. I mean, really, we just got to open like our hearts and our minds to what we're experiencing around us. And I would say that's true no matter where we are on earth, whether you're in the city or you're, you know, in your own backyard somewhere or you're on an extraordinary trip that you know that these opportunities are available for us if we just open ourselves to them. And certainly that looking up at the the sky and watching a space station fly over could perhaps instill that in someone as well, but I think these are the kinds of things that help us really find subtleties in our path and life that allow us to be part of, of change that's good for everyone around us. So at one point in your book, you say that sometimes you want to hold your son tight and apologize for the future he will inherit. And this is within the context of discussing climate change and uh, other uh, changes that are uh, taking place. 
For what are you apologizing and what kind of world do you think he will inherit? I hope you see that the, the point of that was to be like that I found hope in what I was reading too and what the scientists were saying and that I, that's you know, really why I was compelled to continue writing the book versus walking away from it too is that I think that in the research I was doing, I was seeing these things that are going on and, and most of that related to the, the climate change discussion the, that we're experiencing and, and the outcome that could be our future if we don't take the action that's necessary, right? But then in that same research, I was discovering, oh my gosh, the scientists themselves have hope. The scientists, they even have like some of these charts that they use to plot out the way things are changing. They have something called a thin blue line. <laughs> and I just found, I, I found so much hope in that. It's like, oh my gosh, they're tracking something that allows us to see, measurably see how we are positively making change too. And, and that's what allowed me to believe that, and I will always hug my son whenever I see him and whenever he's around. Sometimes he squirms and, and still doesn't want that to happen. But I think the fact is that we can leave our kids with a better future. And, and that's what gives me hope. And I think that we have all the technology we need to do it. There have been things that we've seen over time that have shown us that we can make positive change on a global scale to improve life for everyone and that there's more and more of that, that out there for us to take advantage of too. I, I like to think of it like we could, we could create, if we choose to, a future here on earth that looks as beautiful as it does from space. So the earth rotates at 1,000 miles <laughs> per hour and revolves around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. Why don't humans get dizzy from all that motion? <laughs> Somewhere along the way in school, I learned all those numbers. But I think we just, because we're not all getting dizzy or falling off or spinning around, I think at least I tended to forget them. But I was so happy to, to recall them. And again, in the research... <laughs> that I was doing for this. And I, we don't get dizzy for a number of reasons, but it just made it clear again to me how perfect this planet is for us, right? We just take all of this for granted. We're spinning at a thousand miles an hour, and yet we just feel like we're standing, comfortably standing, moving around on the earth every day, right? We don't even think about, we don't even think about gravity, let alone the rotation of the planet or how fast we're rotating, orbiting the sun. And in all that is this placement of our planet in space, right? Perfectly set at a distance from the sun that allows life to, to be here, for us to breathe and swim and live the lives that we do. And that to me reminds us also that we need to we need to respect those facts. We need to maybe raise our awareness of them every now and then. And I don't think that necessarily has to be to think every day about the fact that we're spinning at a thousand miles an hour, but certainly to acknowledge our existence here with all of the other life we share it with on a planet that is our life support system. And we go to space and we live on this mechanical life support system that we built purposely to mimic what Earth does for us naturally. And as a crew on that mechanical life support system, we are every day acutely aware of how much CO2 is in our atmosphere, how much clean drinking water we have, the integrity of our thin metal hull, and absolutely about the health and well-being of our, our crewmates. And that to me, it's just the perfect model for how we should be living like crewmates here on Spaceship Earth. And 
I realize it's orders of magnitude, but I think the, the template is there for us. And if we can do it on a space station in a place where we're not meant to survive, we, I think we should be able to do that here as Earthlings on a planet that was by design for us to survive. So after 28 years with NASA, you retired a few years ago and founded the Space for Art Foundation, and you work with hospitals and refugee centers around the world. So tell us about the mission of this foundation and what you are trying to accomplish with it. Well, I think our mission, and I'll just repeat our mission statement to you, is um, that we are uniting a planetary community of children through the awe and wonder of space exploration and the healing power of art. And this started really, again, I love how things come out of something simple. When I retired from NASA, I wanted to find a way to uniquely, creatively share the experience I had in space. And that, that was on all levels, you know, what we're doing on the space station, that I think a lot of people aren't aware of, and they might not even be aware that we have a space station, this international platform in space. And, and art was the thing that, that came to me. I think art is just, it's like this universal communicator. And even if somebody doesn't know about the space station, the backstory of the art I create could help them learn about it and the work that's being done there. So I was on this mission to use my art to share the experience. I had painted in space, which was one of the personal highlights for me. And I wanted to bring that back. And I was on, on this path of doing that. And I got introduced to an artist at a hospital in Houston who was doing art therapy programs. And he wanted space as a theme for one of, one of the projects he was doing. And long story short is that we started working with kids in that hospital and a pediatric cancer center on creating one art spacesuit from all the art that the kids did. And that has grown to our current project where we are again creating an art spacesuit, but it is going to be built from the artwork from at least one child in every country on the planet. And its name is Beyond, and it is built as I mean, really, we're thinking about it as the ambassador for Spaceship Earth. We've been invited with the art spacesuit to participate in Glasgow in November at the UN Climate Change Conference with Beyond as the ambassador for Spaceship Earth and to uh, remind people of this connection between personal and planetary health, which I can tell you the kids in the hospital, the kids at these refugee centers, they absolutely understand that. And they share it with us through their artwork, but also through the conversations we have with them. And I think it's pretty powerful to see how the inspiration of space and the creativity of art can provide these children with really what I think is a, a transcendent experience for them, where they are going through what you hope is the, the worst thing they will ever have to experience in their lives. And yet through, through the space and the art, they are able to think about their future and talk about what they want to do in their lives. And, and somewhere in those conversations, they are not only sitting up straighter and feeling stronger, but they are getting a sense of how they can be crewmates here on Spaceship Earth and how what they can do in their lives can help make life better for everyone around them. Well, Nicole, this is a fascinating book that I recommend highly. It's called Back to Earth. 
what life in space taught me about our home planet and our mission to protect it. It is a great read and people will learn valuable lessons along the way. So I want to thank Nicole for sharing her thoughts with us today. At Brookings, we write regularly about space exploration and digital technology. You can find uh, more information on our Brookings Tech Tank blog located at brookings.edu. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Tech Tank, a series of roundtable discussions and interviews with technology experts and policymakers. For more conversations like this, subscribe to the podcast and sign up to receive the Tech Tank newsletter for more research and analysis from the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings.